I'd like to take this opportunity to thank Bill and the rest of the staff for covering for me this past week as I was on my annual fishing adventure in Cape Fear uh, River, at Cape Fear River at Baldhead uh, Island in North Carolina, as well as the session that I just don't understand how they can do such good work since I'm not there. But you did. Thank you very much, Mary. There may be a lesson in that for me. And I'd also like to thank this congregation for your thoughts and prayers during uh, a really hard month for a lot of people. Uh, those who were uh, storm damaged were many in our church. Uh, there were some deaths. Uh, there were some illnesses, a couple of announcements regarding that which did not make it in your bulletin. Uh, Jeff Gartner's wife, Carol, lost her father on Friday. Carol Schoenberger is at Baptist and is her daughter-in-law, uh, which leads her son taking care of triplets, uh, a full hand indeed. So keep uh, them in your prayers, if you will. This morning I picked a text. I actually picked this passage 10 days ago because I had no idea what I was going to preach. Going fishing, I would work on it while away, and it gave me enough sort of general platform to figure out what I was going to do. I mean, how can you mess up a stewardship sermon with the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it? Stewardship sermon's pretty clear. It's not ours. It's God's, and we're called to be stewards of that. And then the rest of it, for he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers, I felt like gave me space to weave in another fishing story. Seas, rivers, get it. But it was yesterday that I figured out I wanted to add another text to it, and it comes from Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 the first verse of each chapter. And it goes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And in Revelation 22:1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the reconciliation of the nations. If you look on the front of your bullets in our logo, which is originally designed to be from Psalm 1, we are like trees planted by streams of water, is also a reflection of this 22nd chapter of Revelation, like the tree of life producing its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree are for the reconciliation of the nations. The first psalm I read grows out of a keen awareness of the Hebrew people of how the world has been created in terms of God's doing it. It was never really meant to be understood as a sort of literal cosmological explanation for how the world was created, but instead a theological and poetic presentation 
to all people to remind us that God is the creator God of all things. I believe that. And if God is the creator God of all things, then all that has been created has been by the hand of God. Therefore, as the psalm says, is God's. Now, when the Hebrew people wrote this psalm, as well as the creation story in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You remember that. They thought that the world was basically three-tiered, that there was a big dome over the earth like that, and then there was a horizontal plane that was water on both sides, actually all four sides, like a big plate, and in the middle was land. And if you went off the land into the sea and you went far enough, you'd fall off into oblivion. And underneath that horizontal plane was Sheol, also full of water and darkness. So when the flood came in Moses, it was thought that God pulled his finger out of the dike of order and let the waters come through the windows in the dome and up from Sheol so that it was a giant flood, which was the exact opposite of what God had done when he first created the world because what existed was a hurricane-like tahum, chaos, a, a sea of chaos that God looks down upon and orders by blowing God's breath on it, ruah, and then by speaking order into it, God spoke and God breathed. God did. And then we remember the story of Moses taking the people across the Red Sea where God orders the waters of the Red Sea again to part and then the people were then free and liberated from the Pharaoh and his armies. And over and over again, the Hebrew people understood the symbolic power of the seas and the rivers and the waters and how on the one hand they were the source of life. I mean, after all, we're some 90-something percent of uh, a saline solution in our lives. But it's also the very source of chaos for any of us who went through Irma nose or any other seaworthy storm. So they had this respect and this fear of the sea monsters in the sea. So when it says that God created the seas too and the rivers, it says all things, even Leviathan, are created by the hand of God. All things, all things, God's. So this three-tiered heaven, the firmament over it, the horizontal plane, the deep water underneath in Sheol, the most important structure component of it was the God in heaven who is still bringing order to bear, even in the midst of chaos. So not only did God create, but God continues to create. And what they believed is God continues to create through us, that God has chosen us, we human beings, to be God's partners in this creative process. And what that word is for that is stewards. We are stewards. We are called to care for God's creation, to till the ground, to nourish it, to bring fruit out of it, to nourish each other because it's God's and we're in our calling given the strength to care for it.
The earth is the Lord's. That means that it's way bigger than we can imagine. Remember, they thought the world back then was our little world. The world as they knew it was the center. The sun revolved around the world. The moon and the stars revolved around the world, the earth. Now we know cosmologically that it's beyond comprehension how large our universe is. Two stars collided last week that were 180 light years apart. How they were able to determine that, I never understood. 180 light years apart is like 4.6 with 20 zeros after it miles. And they think that the universe, although they think conservative, is 43 billion light years big. But now they're thinking there's multiple universes. So this incredible hugeness of God and God's creation baffles our minds, while at the same time the very precise particularity of God calling each of us by name and giving us gifts to care for this, at least, end zone of God's creation we call the earth, is is as particular in its finitude as the universe is in its infinitude. Each one of us given gifts to serve God as a steward, whether it's time or talent or treasure. The job of every stewardship chairman and minister, for that matter, is to try to build an emotional case to the congregation And all over the country, probably all over the world, every minister is doing that in the next three weeks during stewardship season, which is a misnomer because it's really stewardship life. But nevertheless, our job is to build an emotional case so that if you are emotionally moved, inspired, then you will be motivated to act. But you know, if we take this seriously, this passage, I think we've got it completely upside down. God wasn't waiting to be inspired to create and to act and to do and to speak. God did it. Because that's what love is. It is an act, not an inspiration. It is a verb, not a feeling. The way we have it backwards is, if you want to learn to be grateful, practice gratitude. If you want to learn to be a good steward, practice stewardship. If you want to learn to be more faithful, practice faith. If you want to be more prayerful, pray. It is always the act, the verb itself, that begins the process where the inspiration and the motivation will then follow. I was with a group of men this past week. They were Anywhere from the age of 70 to 30, there were generally 10 older guys and uh, eight or nine younger guys. One night I was cooking dinner, and uh, the eight or nine older guys and the younger guys were all sitting around this giant table, and I was sort of watching them. And not one of the older men at that table had had a drink the whole trip. But boy, did they used to. And every single one of the younger men 
had started drinking from the moment they woke up in the morning. And it struck me of the wisdom that had come to these older men through a very long, hard process of sobriety that was then, sooner or later, going to have to happen for the younger men too. And what struck me was, when I asked the older guys how they got sober, they all said the same thing. I stopped drinking. Now that sounds simple, but of course it's not when you're addicted, but it's an act. They weren't emotionally or inspirationally moved to do it, They knew that there was chaos in their life, not order, and unless they stopped drinking, they were not going to have any sense of life left. So they stopped, one day at a time, one drink at at a time, and the longer they practiced sobriety, the more inspired they got and the more motivated they got to keep practicing it. And I think it's true for every single thing in our life that matters. When we finally act on it is when we begin the process of being inspired by it. But if we wait to be inspired by it, how many people do we know that are still waiting from birth to death? The fact is that nature wins. Nobody beats it. Remember that man against nature thing, Ernest Shackelford and others and all the thing in us, the spirit of adventure, it's wonderful, but it's that legacy that we want to leave. In some way, I was able to climb Everest. I was able to do all these things to beat nature. What was that guy's name? Tim Treadwell, who decided to live with the grizzlies in Alaska about 20 years. Remember that story? Yeah. You don't beat nature. There's no versus nature. The key is, and oh, oh Mary Spooler, uh, shout out for this. You're getting a lot of good praise today, by the way. Uh, at a worship committee meeting a while back, Mary Spooler said, just as in Mother Nature, which has a beautiful, gorgeous, blossoming, spring-like side to it, it also has a chaotic, stormy, dark side. She shared that with us right after Irma. And then she said, so too are people. Human nature Beautiful side, stormy, dark, chaotic side. And the way you bring order into the midst of those two places is by acting on virtues. Love, forgiveness, kindness, truth-telling. And the more you act on those virtues, the deeper your character becomes and grows And the more that happens, the more inspired you are and stronger you are to keep becoming more virtuous. So that's the stewardship sermon. We do it because it is what we're called to do as children of God. Whether it's giving to the church or giving to desk or giving our talent through singing or playing or serving. We didn't catch a lot of fish. Um, Last year we caught 223 bull drum from 30 to 46 inches. We threw them all back because they're out of the limit. This year, after six days of fishing, we had caught seven. A lot of flounder, but no drum. 
The last two days, I was exhausted. And then the Friday, I was leaving on Saturday, Friday afternoon, we were down near the river. We were consumed by a horde of no having not caught any fish all day long. I was tired. I needed to go back to the house to get packed, to go drive back to Jacksonville yesterday. But the rest of the group said, you know what, let's go to the other side of the island tonight, right at sundown, and see how it goes. We'll be back by 10, they said. Two other guys stay with me. Okay, somebody cooked spaghetti. I was going to put the noodles in the water. And the other guy with us said, when do you think they'll be back? I said, well, they said 10, but if they're not by 1030, that means they're catching fish. Well, at 1045, they're not back. I got back at 1 a.m. after catching 15 bull drum. And I was at home. Even though I was tired, I should have gone. I missed not only the biggest fish catching day, I missed the incredible meteor shower that they had displayed in front of them with no light, seeing everything the Milky Way in complete vividness with meteors flying everywhere because I did not act. And you know the moral. <laughs>